we're working through so that we know everything we can know about healing. We ought to know how to answer every man. And some of this is just knowing how to answer. And also, I think it's a lot of it's for recall. It's probably things you've heard before. Because just to remind you of some of the arguments that people have. Number five, sacred cow. Paul left people sick. And so sometimes people want to use the scriptures in 2 Timothy 4.20. And then you can start turning there. The sacred cow about that is that God doesn't heal everybody because the Bible says Paul left people sick. You know, that would have to be a pretty good Bible student to throw up that argument. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 20, which says, Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. And then if you will go to Philippians 2, verse 25, says, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Ephroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh to death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow." When I read this passage of Scripture, I always think of when Brother Hagin tells that story about the man that fell off the oil, Derek, and was nigh unto death. And Brother Hagin went to the Lord and said, Now he's my Sunday school superintendent, and he's a tither, and I need him. And so we've always said, if you don't want to be caught near death and not be a tither, because pastor might not pray. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, anyway, <laughs> so praise God. <laughs> But if you're a tither, I promise he will be very highly motivated. And if you're the Sunday school superintendent or something equivalent to that, on top of that, well, it's like he will be commanding you to live and not die in Jesus' name. We talked about how God heals. The three reasons were compassion. The second one was goodness because he's good. If he's good and he didn't do good, because he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it's sin. And then as a sign, not a reward, but a sign. Remember, healing's never a reward. It's for a sign. And it was a sign, not that he was God, but a sign that the kingdom of God was here. Is why Jesus healed the sick. So in this scripture, Paul, he says here, God had mercy on him. So I always remember that God is merciful. When we're ministering healing, we're coming at that from that direction. When we're ministering healing, we don't have to beg God to do something because he's merciful. He's good, and also because Jesus already paid the price and went to the cross, and it's done. Amen? But remembering and keeping the compassion and mercy of God, because there's going to be times when somebody's going to come in, and you're going to say, maybe they are covered from here to the tips of their toes and tattoos or something, and everything on them's pierced. You might be tempted to think, will God heal this person? But absolutely, probably, in fact, that person will manifest their healing faster, not because of God, but because they probably don't have any religious things to overcome. Yeah. They come out of the first church of the world, and that can be a good thing when you go to minister to them. Like, I wish you were either cold or hot. Sometimes when they're cold, they have never really been with God. It's good. It's good. Hallelujah. So, mercy. Verse 30 
it says, because for the work of Christ, he was nigh to death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. And in the word there where it talks about sick, that word sick is number 772 in the Greek or in the concordance, Strong's concordance. It means to be feeble in any sense. Curry Blake's take on this is that probably he had worked himself so hard because it says because for the work of Christ he was nigh to death in verse 30 and so he had overworked himself probably he didn't have a disease he didn't have some sickness like that but he had worked himself nearly to the point of death it says for the work of Christ he was nigh to death not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. And you may have heard Curry tell this story, but he relates this when it says Paul left them sick. He relates this, that he went to a hospital. He prayed for a girl that was in a coma. And when he left, she was in the coma. He left her sick. He left her sick. And when he got to the church, he realized he had left his Bible at the hospital. And so it was like in a town 20 miles away. So he had somebody drive back over to the hospital and get it. And when and they went to the room. The room was all empty and had been cleaned and the bed made up. They asked where she was and she had called her parents to come get her. She'd come out of the coma and went home and his Bible was at the nurse's station and hallelujah, she was healed. He said, so I left her sick. So that doesn't mean that Paul didn't pray or Paul said it wasn't his will to heal and that Trophimus and Ephroditus didn't get up right after that. More likely that they suffered from exhaustion from their missionary travels and works than they actually had disease. Number six of the sacred cows is Timothy's stomach. And that's in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I don't think most people, they don't pay any attention to Timothy's stomach. They're paying more attention to take a little wine. They're not really concerned that much over Timothy's stomach. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 2 says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. That's in the letter Paul wrote to Timothy. He told him not to be given to much wine. And then in 1 Timothy 3.8, it says, Likewise must the deacons, not just the bishops, which would probably be the pastors, the deacons must be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. And then 1 Timothy 5.23 same first Timothy, same letter, says, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake, and thine often infirmities. Seems to be here that Paul is recommending this in sort of in a medicinal sense, that obviously something in the water, maybe an amoeba or something, has got Timothy's system all upset. I know when Colin went to Mexico on his first mission trip, he came back with an amoeba. I didn't know he had an amoeba, but I knew that we went for about a month and he would have just horrible stomach cramps and horrible diarrhea and horrible, horrible. And then he'd be fine for three or four days. And then here we'd go again. And so, but I was at a ladies meeting in Columbus, Texas, down at country camp. And uh, I just happened to talk about that. And then he had been on a mission trip and he had had a stomach ache. And a missionary lady 
was there in our room and she said, well, he's got an amoeba. Go to GNC and get crushed black walnut shells in a capsule and give them to him. He took those couple of days and he was, he was righteous. It sounds like that maybe Timothy, there was something in the water and Paul said, okay, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. Well, wine or alcoholic beverage has been known for thousands of years as a medicinal thing. Here's my thinking. There's lots of Christians that are wine drinkers now. I don't condemn you if you are. I personally, I'm not going to drink wine. I'm not going to drink alcoholic beverage uh, for two reasons. One, alcoholism has been known to be in my family in former generations. And I don't want to get addicted to anything. I don't do it for that reason. But also, I believe that it spoils your testimony. Like we were given a bottle of non-alcoholic wine. I thought about drinking it at Christmas, pouring glasses of it. But then I thought, my grandkids are going to see that. How are they going to separate that out? And so I said, no, it's gone. Same thing. When my kids were little, I wouldn't let them have the root beer that was in the bottles that looked like beer. Because I just didn't want that in their little brains at that age. You know, there's that testimony. So my advice to you is, if you feel the scripture gives you permission, I'm talking out beyond for your stomach's sake. Now there's other things we can take for our stomach's sake, but then there might not have been. But if you do, please don't post it on Facebook. Don't post it on Facebook. Don't advertise it because then me and Pastor are going to have to say, well, now you can't be the head of children's church anymore because you're advertising your wine. And it's really glorified right now. Everybody wants a wine cellar. Everybody wants a wine rack on the new houses on TV. And it's like, oh, we love to taste it, you know, and all that. At least don't advertise it. That's my humble advice to you. So divine healing by faith. We're going to move on to some things. You could get healed by your faith, you could get healed by someone else's faith, or you could get someone else healed by your faith. And that's what we're really emphasizing right now, is get someone else healed with your faith. When we go to those healing rooms, that healing center, we're not going to worry about if they have faith or not. I spent the first 20 years of my ministry, at least, if not longer, Worrying about, well, do they have enough faith to be healed? Probably in the worrying about whether they had enough faith, probably didn't use my faith to the fullest extent that I could have to get them healed. And so we're going to use our faith, get in with both feet, and push with our faith. Now, if they have faith and they pull some too, all the better. All the better. But if they don't, that'll be okay too. You can be healed by faith or you can be healed by authority. Or you can be healed by a gift. We're just not going to sit around waiting on a gift to come. If a gift comes, we're great. If a gift begins to manifest, we're happy. We love it. We want everything God has, every gift He has, all the nine gifts of the Spirit. We want it all. The fivefold ministry, we want all of that. We want the 1 Corinthians 12, 20 gifts. We want it all. But we're not going to sit around waiting on it. We're going to go ahead and minister by our faith and by the authority that we have in Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's look at this for a minute. This is interesting. Jesus only commended two people as having great faith. Can anybody think who they are? He told several people, your faith has made you whole. But who did he commend for having great faith? Yeah, that's it. One of them, Roman centurion. That's it. 
So let's go to Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, and we'll see the Roman centurion. And that's Romans 8, 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Go down to verse 13. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And the servant was healed in the selfsame hour. The Roman centurion had heard of Jesus, and he understood that Jesus was healing by authority. Now, I struggled a lot of years trying to figure out why this man had great faith, and I came to a wrong conclusion. I came to the conclusion that what made his faith great was when he said, speak the word only. And that is good. Speak the word only is good, but that is not what made his faith great. What made the Roman centurion's faith great is that he understood authority. And it amazed Jesus that a man, let's remember, he's Roman. He does not have a covenant with God. He's not walking in covenant. He doesn't have a covenant. And yet Jesus said he had great faith because he had this tremendous understanding of authority. And from the testimonies that he heard of what Jesus had done, he came to the conclusion that Jesus was operating under some kind of authority that he had an authority because he understood this hierarchy of authority that he operated under where he was a Roman centurion operating under whoever the Roman guy was at that time. And he would tell a servant to go, the servant would go. So I'm glad to finally figure it out and finally get there. He understood the command of authority. So he just asked Jesus to speak that command. Then if we go to Matthew chapter 15, in verse 23, it'll be that woman of Cana. And it says, Behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Hallelujah. There's several things we could talk about in this passage. And one of them is healing is the children's bread. We saw that in there. We saw that she was also a woman without covenant. She was a woman of Canaan. So both people that he said had great faith were people that were not in covenant. Another thing we see here is that both of them came on behalf of someone else. They did not come for themselves. I struggled with that too. It's like, okay, because people won't come up and stand in proxy for someone. Ever heard of that? I always said, that's not right. You can't do that. But, you know, after studying this more and just getting some more understanding, I do know that you could come and 
on behalf of someone else and they can speak the word, you could pray and, and that person can be healed. You can get blessed in the kingdom if you just know somebody with a covenant. Hallelujah. And y'all are going to be people that are known to be able to touch God. And people are going to come to you, and they already are in some measure, but it's going to be more. It's going to increase as the days grow more dark. And then also as you put out more light. So two people with no covenant. One of the things that's amazing about their faith, and one of the things that gives them great faith, is that they had the boldness and faith to ask Jesus for anything at all, and they weren't in covenant because they had no right to ask. And, you know, especially this woman of Cana, she pretty much knew she didn't have a right to ask. She even agreed with Jesus when he said it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. So uh, they didn't ha have a right to ask. And when you have no right to ask and you ask anyway, then that's great faith. Hallelujah. Sometimes we could take that as a lesson. We may feel like we don't have a right to ask for something. I guess according to our contract that we have with the lady that owns this building, whom we had never met or ever talked to because we leased it from a leasing agent, and he kind of pretty much let us know she didn't want to be bothered, so we tried not to bother her. But I guess if you really read the covenant strictly, you would have said, we don't have a right to ask for a new air conditioner. But we decided not to go by what the least thing. We decided not to go by that, and we said, we're going to ask anyway. Praise God. We got it. And she was apologizing to us that we suffered last year. <laughs> Pastor wrote a good letter about all our suffering <laughs> and threw the babies in there, too. And nobody wants to see little children and babies suffer. <laughs> Absolutely. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Jesus rebuked his disciples because they did not display the same degree of confidence in God as these two heathen people did. Hallelujah. I don't want to get rebuked to y'all by Jesus because somebody out there with, like I said, tattoos and everything on their bodies pierced and they have more confidence in my Jesus than I do. I don't want that rebuke. Nowhere in the New Testament after Jesus' death and resurrection, are Christians ever told to have faith? Remember in Mark 11 where it says, have faith in God? He, there is never a time after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that we're ever told to have faith. It's kind of like we got it. We have faith. We're believers. We have faith. Even Reinhard Bonnke said, I don't understand. He's German, of course. He preaches in Africa and all over the world. And he said, America's the only nation in the world where when you get there, they're trying to measure your faith. Do you have little faith? He said, they just go believe Jesus. They don't try to measure how much faith they have in Africa and the other nations of the world. And so let's just not worry about how big our faith is and just say, you know, you have enough. Because it only takes a small amount. It takes a mustard seed size of faith is all it takes. And about the mustard seed, we might as well go ahead and say this. So I said it was size, but it's not, it's not the size of your faith. It's the quality of your faith that makes the difference. It's the quality of your faith. And the quality of your faith goes back to understanding authority and what you've been given in Christ. Amen. So Christians do not have a faith problem.
They have faith or they are not born again. If you don't have faith, you're not born again. I believe there's a lot of people that say I'm a Christian that just need to get saved. Curry Blake says most people in churches aren't saved, which I don't know. I'm just repeating what I heard. Both of these people came to Jesus because they heard something. And we know faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And they acted upon the word by coming. They mixed faith with what they had heard or the word and it profited them. So here's something amazing. These people that did not have a covenant came to Jesus on behalf of someone else. So a person who is not even a Christian can have faith for someone else. Because they did. Someone that's not even a Christian could have faith for someone else. When Jesus said not to give the children's bread to dogs, this was a direct reference to her not being in covenant relationship with God. This also tells us that healing and deliverance are the children's bread, and we are the sons and daughters of God. Jesus taught his disciples to pray for daily bread or daily healing. We pray we have food, but we also pray that we have daily bread of healing. Daily bread, that speaks of revelation also. Because the Word of God is bread. Because the Bible says that we don't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So whatever the words I need to live on and live victoriously today, I can believe for them because Jesus said to pray for daily bread. And you know, if you get healed daily, then you never are sick, are you? Hallelujah. Just just get up every morning and get healed for the whole day. and That's a good idea. Jesus is our healing. Because He was the bread of life that came down from heaven. So He is our healing. And Ephesians 1.3 says that God has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing. As Christians, we already have healing. We received it when we received Jesus. Our job now is to drive out the enemy. We're not asking God to heal people. We're not begging Him to heal people because we already know He's already paid the price. It's already done. He's already willed them to be healed. It's already His will. We don't have to ask, but we do have to drive out the enemy and keep him driven out. Drive out the enemy from our own bodies and keep him driven out and from other people's. It is a spiritual war. The enemy of God would try to keep us from walking in our healing. Once we evict the outlaw called sickness or disease, we live in divine health. God has provided through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So drive out the enemy. So let's talk about a little bit. This is kind of set up. Of course, the screen would be where set up in the hospitality room so that the person and the three people we would like to have three people with each person, but minimum of two, never one. And what we'd like to have is if it's a man being prayed for, I would like to have a man leading that prayer team that night. It could be either one if it's a woman. Women don't mind men ministering to them as a general rule unless they've really had something abusive happen. But men often mind a woman ministering to them unless they're Pentecostal already and they already have understanding in that area. So that would be my preference if I was doing it, if I was calling it out. And you know, there'll be assignments that night and a team of three. So you'd have the leader sitting here 
person being prayed for in that chair and two people standing behind them and they would be behind a screen we're not trying to cover everything up we're just trying to give a little bit of privacy so you don't feel like everybody's looking at you if another team say is not busy not praying for somebody or we don't want the person to be distracted by something else that's happening where somebody else is getting prayed for but on the other hand we don't want it to be that you go in a dark room and you're all by yourself, you know, and that's scary too. It would be to me. So does anybody want to get in the I want to be prayed for chair? Okay. Melissa, why don't you and Madison come assist me? I'm going to get in the chair here. Go ahead and sit down. And we're just going to get a little demonstration of how this possibly could work. Now we'll just pretend tonight that I'm the leader of the team. You're the assistant leader, and you're you're the support. Miss Pamela, Miss Pam, I see on your sheet here that you have wrote down that you need healing your neck. Okay, you came for healing in your neck. It says on here that there was no accident or anything. It's that you really don't know why your neck is hurting. This is how I. I see what sometimes I might do. We're not trying to say, okay, you prayers, y'all have to do it exactly like this and say exactly what Miss Debbie says. We're expecting you to be led of the Spirit, but here's some general guidelines. Miss Pam, I want to read a couple of scriptures to you tonight, if that's okay, before we get started. And I'm going to read over here from Isaiah chapter 53. In Isaiah it says, Isaiah prophesied this about Jesus. Surely he hath borne our sicknesses and carried our pains, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And then in 1 Peter, I want to read that to you. 1 Peter 2.24 this is talking about Jesus, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. It says over in Mark chapter 16, and this is the last scripture I'm going to read to you. It says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Miss Pam, that's what we're going to do tonight. I'm going to take your hand, and, and these ladies behind you, they're going to lay their hands lightly on your shoulder. Now, I'm pretending we don't know her. I guess you noticed that. If she really came to the rooms, I might say something different, but they're going to lay their hands just gently on your shoulders. Would that be okay with you if we lay hands on you? Yes, ma'am. Hallelujah. Praise God. And we're just going to believe God. It's going to be good. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Let me have your hand tonight, Pamela. Praise God. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come right now and fill and touch Miss Pamela in her spirit and in her soul and in her body. Come on her now, Holy Spirit, and begin to work in her life. In Jesus' name. And now we take authority over everything that has brought harm to her neck. We bind the spirit of infirmity, command it to go in Jesus' name. I bind 
arthritis. I command you to go in Jesus' name. I bind and take authority over pain. I have dominion over pain, and I command pain to leave her neck now in Jesus' name. I release healing into her neck. I release life into her neck. I say, be healed, neck. Be restored, discs. In Jesus' name, be at peace and at rest, body and neck. In the name of Jesus, I declare Pam free in her neck. In Jesus' name, Pam, do you sense anything happening in your body right now? I did when you asked the Holy Spirit to come. I felt tingling. Miss Pam, would you move your neck around a little bit? And it hurts. It still hurts. It hurts. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask team number two to come. Miss Pam, is that okay if you if I ask another team to come and Ms. pray Pam, for you? Pastor's going to lead this team, and Miss Annette and Miss Shanita, would you come? We're pretending, but we are not pretending in the sense of we're really getting Pamela healed. We thank you that you care for us. And Jesus loved us so much that he took this neck pain so that we would never have to bear up under it. We wouldn't have to have any pain. So we're grateful and we're thankful that that's done and that you care. And then you gave us authority over the devils. And so you told us to to bind the devil. So in the name of Jesus, we bind you, devil, from neck pain in Miss Pamela's body. And we tell you to leave her body now in Jesus' name. Go now. Leave now. In Jesus' name. Go. Now we speak and we tell any tightness in muscles yes. to be relaxed. All tenseness, all stress, now be at peace. Be at rest. Every muscle in her neck, her back, her chest, her shoulders, all of them come to rest I command you in the name of Jesus every nerve transmitting pain I tell you settle down in the name of Jesus now every bone that means vertebrae and every disc all the parts of her neck and back we tell you be healed come into alignment be straight all stress and all strain be gone, be restored, be healed in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, Pamela, can you tell us what was your pain level when you sat down here the first time? What what was that if you measured one to ten? What would you say that was? A nine. Can you tell us what's going on right now? Pain is less, a lot less. A lot less. A lot less. They're going to lay hands on you right now, behind you, on your shoulders, and 
One of them's going to put her hands on your neck, your lower, your lower neck and upper back. And Miss uh, Annette is going. She's going to. She's going to press her hand there, with, with, and they're going to speak to that. And you just receive it right now. Spirit of infirmity, we speak to you with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we tell you to go. You cannot reside here. You are no longer <laughs> welcome yeah. here. You have to go. We consider you gone in Jesus' name. Now, while this spirit is gone, we speak health and wholeness to this body. In the name of Jesus, every joint, every disc and line, according to the way you were created, and that's all we're going to have. In Jesus' name, we're having health, wholeness, healing. Move it around. It's a lot better, Pastor. It's a lot better. I mean, before, I, it would, I couldn't, my neck yeah. would have to stop before. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Praise God. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Darling just prayed even after she leaves this healing continues and that would be a good way to end the session and say pamela we're just so thankful that you allowed us to pray for you and so thank you for coming and we have a little bag for you and so we'll walk you out and get you that little bag you have to draw it to a close after you've gone so far and then also what they did at the end that would be my suggestion whether the healing's complete or partially complete Get the person, not just you praising the Lord, but get them to start praising the Lord and thanking the Lord because that causes the healing to further continue and to flow. Now, I did one thing wrong when I was praying. I should have kept my eyes open, but that's pretty much of a habit. If you're the lead, you're supposed to keep your eyes open. Two things I would say that the support and the assistant probably don't know. What I believe needs to be done while you're there is you should be praying in the Spirit. The leader has to watch and not pray in the Spirit, but I believe you should be praying so low that the person knows you're praying, but they do not know what you're saying. But that's something that needs to be happening back there, which praying in the Spirit will help a bunch, and it will really help the person that's doing the lead prayer, too. Just like that happened where I called on Melissa, he called on Annette to pray. That's how you would do it if you felt led. Now, in your little team, before you ever prayed for Pamela, before she was ever brought back to the room, you would have some time with your team where you pray in the Spirit, and you pray, and you already know her name, you already know its neck, and you'd start praying for that, just y'all three, and that would be a time where you would listen to the Holy Ghost for any scripture, because, for instance, let's say you just pick up in the Spirit that she has a problem, you just pick up on something, say, that she really does not feel loved maybe you have a scripture that talks about love a scripture example of that would maybe be Ephesians 3 where it talks about how he wants us to experience his love what is the breadth and length and depth and height and so maybe you would say something like that to her or maybe you pick up when you're praying ahead of time that there's a problem here where this person doesn't feel worthy she feels condemned about something and so maybe you would say I feel 
to remind you and take you over to First John 1, 9 and talks about that how we're cleansed when we ask for forgiveness. Or let's say Pamela began to confess something when all of a sudden she's like, well, I don't think God would want to heal me because of what I've done and I did this or I did that. Then the thing to do, read First John 1, 9 and say, would you be ready to confess that to the Lord as sin? and then receive his forgiveness, and hopefully she would say yes. And, you know, a lot of times people need help receiving forgiveness because they don't really know how to repent and tell the Lord and then receive that forgiveness. So that might be something you had to help with. Or perhaps you would pick up on something when you were praying ahead of time. Maybe the sheet says back, but you pick up on and you would tell your leader before you called her in, you would say, leader, I know it says back, but I keep feeling something about shoulder. Because a lot of times people write down one thing, but there's more than one thing. And uh, remember how we talked last week about how Curry Blake said a lot of times things travel in threes. And I was glad that Annette prayed for the spirit of infirmity also. If there was something else, it has to go even if we don't know what it is, or maybe Pamela doesn't know what it is. She wrote on the paper, her neck hurt, but then she gives y'all more information. Well, it's going down my arms and around my chest and, and everything, and so being sensitive to the spirit where that root is, is it really her neck hurting, or is there something else in there that God would lead you to pray for? So, But we've been practicing for years being sensitive to the spirit and listening and getting word of knowledge, and so this should not be hard. We just listen, and the impression we have, we just have faith to go with it. Amen? So that's good. You know, it's called working of miracles, and so sometimes you have to work with it a while. So if we'd have gotten complete results to our team, we wouldn't have called them over. But we didn't get complete results, and so let's let somebody else have a try at it. Somebody else could have that word of knowledge or that leading of the Spirit to pray just the right thing. Somebody said, and I believe it was Curry Blake, he said a great percentage of people don't even feel a thing when they get healed. They don't even know they've been healed. And then they go home and... All of a sudden, they're healed. And so if I had asked Pamela, are you feeling anything? And she says, no, I don't feel anything. And maybe we were through with the session and our time was up. Then we would say that to her. We would say, well, Miss Pamela, there's a whole great percentage of people that don't know when the healing happens. But we just believe that God is answering our prayer, that this work will continue in you, just like Garland said.